Expect a future of gene-edited designer babies? Do we want one? In October of 2018, two seemingly healthy babies were born in China. There was something different about them. Nana and Lulu were the world's first gene-edited babies. A scientist, He Jiankui, had used the gene-editing technique CRISPR-Cas9 to alter their DNA when they were embryos. He targeted a gene called CCR5 with the goal of making them resistant to HIV. Gene editing could be used to wipe out diseases, but it could also be used to augment humans, altering intelligence, athletic ability, vision, appearance, and more. This could forever change what it means to be human. It's an acronym. It stands for Clustered Regularly Interspaced Short Palindromic Repeats. CRISPR is a biological tool that can be used to edit genes. Think of it like a biological pair of scissors that can cut DNA, but also has a component that can insert DNA. Gene editing can now be done in ways that used to be really difficult, or if not, impossible before. So this CRISPR tool can quickly and efficiently tweak almost any gene in any plant or animal. Researchers already have used it to fix genetic diseases in animals, to combat viruses, and to sterilize malaria-causing mosquitoes. They've also been used to prepare pig organs for human transplants, or to create glowing animals, including dogs, cats, and rabbits. The CRISPR tool was first described in 2012, and since then, there's been a massive realization of how powerful this tool is. CRISPR has so much power that there have been calls to be careful on how humans use it. It's super low cost and can be done by researchers or even someone in their backyard garage. Chinese scientists are about to become the first in the world to inject people with genetically modified cells using a special gene editing process. Starting next month, the team of scientists plans on testing the cells they edit in patients with incurable lung cancer who haven't responded to other treatments. It's called CRISPR, and it works like a text editor of sorts. The technique manipulates DNA by cutting certain sections and then adding new sequences or removing them altogether. And it's not much of a surprise China wanted to get a jump on human CRISPR experimentation. It's the first in this area pretty regularly. It had the first CRISPR-edited human embryos and the first CRISPR-edited monkeys. A similar experiment was approved recently in the U.S. In that experiment, scientists are also hoping to get the immune system to fight cancer cells, but the experiment in China will still be the first. There have been a lot of ethical and safety concerns surrounding this type of gene editing. In 2015, a group of scientists published a letter in Nature warning against editing the kinds of genetic code that gets passed on. Engineering that's happening in the world today you probably imagine it happening at a university or a big biotechnology firm full of people in white lab coats using sophisticated and expensive equipment to do the complex and delicate work of gene editing. For most people, this is probably a pretty reassuring image. It's all so professional and well-regulated, right? Well, as it turns out, there is a do-it-yourself gene therapy kit available online that allows you to edit genomes at home. Until recently, editing DNA required sophisticated labs, years of experience, and several thousands of dollars. But with the breakthrough of a genetic engineering tool called CRISPR-Cas9 that is not only fast but also cheap and relatively easy, gene editing has entered a new era. Now you can order a DIY genetic engineering home lab kit for just under $150 that allows anyone to re-engineer DNA in surprising ways with enhanced intelligence or strength just around the corner? The technology that makes this important conversation possible is called CRISPR. 
a revolutionary gene editing tool that allows uh, scientists to make precise changes to the DNA in any cell or organism. So fairly early on in the development of the CRISPR technology, I had a dream in which a scientist was introducing me to a man in a, in a dark room, and when that man turned around, it was Adolf Hitler asking me to describe to him how the CRISPR technology worked and tell him how it could be useful. And uh, I woke up from that dream with a, a real start, and that was one of the things that motivated me to begin discussing publicly the implications. At the same time, over the last few years, I've come to feel that the greatest problem may be fear itself. I think that it's very important to understand that the CRISPR technology has the potential to do many beneficial things for society and to reject that technology because we are uncertain about the way it may be used in the future, I think would be a, a mistake. One of the reasons scientists are so excited about the CRISPR technology is that it can be used to correct mutations that cause genetic disease like cystic fibrosis or Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Gene editing can also be used in the germline. That means in eggs or sperm or embryos. And when changes are made to DNA in those cells, the trait can be passed on to all of their future descendants. So it gives us now uh, the power to change the very nature of what makes us human. Good morning, Lake Church. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Well, we're going to talk about the days of Noah again, all right? Is that all right? Is it okay if we study our Bibles today? Amen? Hallelujah. Well, let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to talk about the building blocks of this. The days of Noah was something that Jesus referred to in the 24th chapter of um, Matthew. He also talked about it in Luke. And he began to talk about how that the disciples were able to see the end times. And he said, just as the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. And he goes on and talks about how that they were eating and drinking and giving in marriage until Noah entered the ark and the door shut and uh, destruction came upon them. Now, most people have interpreted that as meaning that life just simply went on as normal, and definitely that is the case. Life as it was then continued to go on until the flood came. But when he refers to the days of Noah, that audience that he was speaking to knew exactly what he was talking about. Now we, because we have a Eurocentric theology, do not have that reference we do not have the reference that he is talking about other than life just was normal. But life wasn't normal in the antediluvian or pre-flood world. And that is what we're going to investigate here today. So let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 1. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, begins to share our condition as human beings before Christ. And he says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, praise God, amen, but God. But God, being rich in mercy, that word rich is the word where we get the word plutocrat, where it means filthy, stinking, rich. Amen? But God, who is filthy, stinking, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship. I like that. It's, it's a word that means poetic work of art. We are his poetic work of art. We are his poetry. It's poema in the Greek. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Praise God. Isn't that good news? Are you awake out there? Amen. So he begins to show us three things that correlate with three chapters in the book of Genesis. He says we were dead in our trespasses and sins. He begins to talk about Genesis chapter 3. Because if you would ask a a 21st century Christian, why is humanity so depraved? Now there will be some churches that don't believe man is depraved at all. Human goodness is being preached in our churches today. Self-help messages that make us the best version of us. Well, you're not called to be the best version of you. You're supposed to be called to conform to the image of Jesus Christ, who is absolutely the best. Amen? Well, I just need to find me. Well, you found him. That's the reason why you're in the mess you're in. Amen? Your identity, you know, Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life will lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. That means the identities that you clothe yourself in, that you wrap yourself in as a person, those things need to be put at the cross. They're done. They're over. And that even means, oh, I don't know if you want to hear this. That, that even means your cultural identity. That means that your, uh, uh, what we would call racial identity, it's all gone. It's all gone. The blood of Jesus has cleansed you from all of that. But there are people that will hold on to their social identity more than they'll hold on to the Word of God. There are people that will hold on to their, you know, so-called racial identity And to be honest with you, that is the seedbed for victimization. Hello. I'm not a victim because I'm in Christ. I'm more than a conqueror in Him. Amen. Hello. 
You know, I'm a, you know, I've got a Cherokee Indian card. But you know what? I'm not identified as a Cherokee. I'm not identified. I'm, I'm in Christ. Come on. We got, we got to lose our life. Amen? And it's really these identity markers that we use that bring so much trouble, turmoil, and chaos in our lives. We begin to think that we have certain rights based upon those things. Are that certain appetites that come from those things. But I'm telling you, you need to take that, put that to the cross, and see yourself as Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? Come on now. Can we shake ourselves up today? Amen? So Genesis chapter 3 talks about this, and that's one of the main events. Because if you ask a 21st century Christian, why is humanity so depraved? They'll say, well, it was Genesis 3. But if you ask a first century Jew what, why man is so depraved, they'll say, well, Genesis 3 was the start, but you've got to talk about Genesis 6, and you've got to talk about Genesis 11. So those are the building blocks of the world system. They're the building blocks of what we are swimming in today. And thank God. Jesus Christ has destroyed and brought reconciliation to those three pillars that build the world that we live in today. Amen? And that's the reason why we can be overcomers. Oh, I tell you what, we need to get excited about that. That's some good stuff. Amen? We can be overcomers in this life because Jesus didn't just come to take care of your sin. He came to reconcile all things unto himself. That means that he reconciled Genesis 3, he reconciled Genesis 6, and he reconciled Genesis 11. And those are very important to your life. You might be sitting here saying, well, what does Genesis have to do with my life anyway? Everything. Everything. See, you've got to stop limiting your view. You know, one of the major mistakes that we have done in the church is we've emphasized just simply the New Testament. Now, I I would say that if you're a new believer and you're growing in Christ, that the New Testament needs to be the place where you need to spend your most time. I'm not, not saying that it's not relevant and important, but I'm here to tell you that we wouldn't have the New Testament if we didn't have the Old Testament. And the most worthless page in your Bible is the page that says New Testament in it. Just rip that out and make it one book because it's all one book. Amen? Amen. Well, the New Testament doesn't apply to us. Yes, it does. It absolutely applies to us. Jesus came to fulfill. People say, well, Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament. He didn't fulfill the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law. The law is a portion of the Old Testament. Oh, come on now. Well, I don't need to read that Old Testament because Jesus fulfilled all of it. No, Jesus fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the law. He didn't fulfill the whole Old Testament. There's still promises in the Old Testament that he hasn't fulfilled yet. Are you with me? So he says, Genesis 3, he says, we were dead in our trespasses and the sins. Then we walked according to those. We were in lockstep, walking in accordance to those things. 
And then he begins to talk about how we walk according to the course of this world. And so he begins to talk about Genesis 6. Genesis 6, the antediluvian world. That's the world that's trying to come on the stage right now. That's the reason why you're seeing CRISPR technology happening. That's exactly what was happening in Genesis chapter 6. They were messing with the human genome. And I'm going to show it to you clearly from the Word of God. Now, one of the great barriers to understanding these things is understanding that English translations are exactly that. They're translations. And sometimes our English language kind of hides the true meaning of what the Hebrew says and what the Greek says. That's the reason why you have to be a student of the Word. Amen? And not just take the surface. You need to get down to where the nitty-gritty is, where the original language teaches. Amen? And then he goes on and he says this, that you uh, walked according or following the prince of the power of the air. And that has to do... With Genesis 11, that has to do with the Tower of Babel and the establishment of the uh, the spiritual hierarchy that controlled the nations of the world. So he shows us that Jesus delivered us from these three things. I love my favorite scripture, one of my favorite scriptures. I can't really pinpoint one, but there are multiple favorite scriptures that I have, and it's one of them, is John 16:30. He says, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Now, when he says world, he's not talking about terra firma. He's not talking about plants and, and uh, dirt and cows and, and animals. He says system. That's the word for system. It's system, order, arrangement, adorning. He says, in the world, in the system, you're going to have pressure. But be of good cheer, Amen. for I have overcome the system. Jesus has overcome the system, and he gives us the faith to overcome the system. He said it's our faith that overcomes the world. Amen? Amen. He, who is he that overcomes the world? But he or she that believes that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And this is the victory that overcomes the system, even our faith. I tell you what, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, I'm, I'm getting stirred up here. Hebrews chapter 11 begins to show how words from God came into people's life and it wrecked the system they were in. It annihilated the system. You want something that's going to revolutionize? You want something that's going to alter planet Earth? You want something that's going to cause you to be on the upper custom, be a top-tier influencer in this world? Get a word from God! You get a word from God, you'll transform people's lives. You got a word from God, you'll set the captives free. You get a word from God. Amen. Hallelujah. So he broke the system. He not only delivered us from our sin, but he broke the system. He broke the system that enslaved us. But he didn't just break the system. He broke the warden. He didn't just bust you out of prison. He annihilated all the warden, all of the guards. Come on, oh, come on now. That makes me want to run. 
He annihilated all the guards, all the people that were holding you back, that were keeping you in that cell and feeding you gruel and making you think you were living life when you weren't living life. Oh, you were large and in charge until you realized that Satan had a hold of you, when you realized that you had a velvet noose around your neck, when you realized that there were barriers to your life and that you weren't able to do everything you wanted to do just like Disney told you. He said, whom the Son has set free, it's free indeed. But there are people in this life right now, and they're sitting in these seats right here, right now. I know by the Spirit of God that don't think they're in bondage to anything. Jesus ran into them in his day in in, uh, John the 8th chapter. In John the 8th chapter, remember, the Pharisees came to him and said, we're not under bondage to anybody. Why would we need to be free? Well, that was kind of a lie because they were under Roman oppression. He said this. He said, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. He said, if you continue in my word, then you are my disciples. And you shall know the truth. And the truth will make you free. Amen? So freedom is a process, is it not? It's immediate as far as God's concerned, but in our lives it's a process. It's dependent on us being in the Word. Hello? Oh, my goodness. All right. Okay. So we're going to talk about these three building blocks of the kingdom of darkness and how they're used continuing to this day to deceive our lives and to keep us bound. You need to understand these things because it's what's operating right now. And when we talk about the course of this world, we're talking about a system that works every side. It's both Republican and Democrat. It's also independent. Hello. It works all sides. It's religious and non-religious. It's atheistic, agnostic, and spiritual, all in the same. So it operates every side. If you're going to operate in this life today, you've got to understand that the devil plays all sides. We would like to think that there's a black and white to this world. There's not. There are players in the kingdom of darkness, and every have infiltrated everything that we touch from our politics to our religious communities to our churches to our civic organizations to our businesses that we deal with everything okay it's it's an infiltration and that's the reason why God desired to put the holy spirit within you so that you could be able to discern and know and be led By the inside instead of the outside. Because the outside will fool you every time. There's people that look for signs on the outside. They look for God to show them signs on the outside. If you're a born-again believer, God is not going to do anything on the outside. He's going to lead you from within. Now listen, guys, there's a lot of people say, "Well, Well, you know, I prayed and then there was a 
there was a big old uh, rainbow in the sky, and I just knew that God. <laughs> For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. You're not led by signs, you're led by the Spirit of God. Amen. Come on, it's true. Amen. Well, you know, I, I prayed about it, and I was driving, and I saw a, uh, a, a license plate in it. It's, it had the numbers that I was needing, you know, to pay my bill. I'm getting in your Kool-Aid right now. <laughs> Hello. You're, you're trolling some ex-girlfriend on Facebook. And you're saying, Lord, I'd really like to, you know, get together with her. Give me a sign. Have her instant message me. <laughs> okay? Now listen. Well, all of a sudden you get an instant message. And you discern that's from the Lord. <laughs> and you discern that's from the Lord. Then you start dating the girl. You get married and you're miserable. Is that from the Lord? Oh, come on, guys. You don't go. You don't do fleeces. Stop doing fleeces. Well, Lord, if you want me to have this job, you know, let it be sunshiny tomorrow morning. Amen. He don't work that way. He don't work that way. He don't work that way. There's people that believe that if you if you died in your funeral and it's raining, you went to hell. There's people that think that. I'm serious. There's people that actually think that. This is crazy stuff. This is part of the system. Hello, superstition religious ideas, and we think they're Bible, and they're not. God is going to lead you, believer, from within. He's going to lead you first through this Word. Then He's going to lead you by the Holy Spirit, the witness of the Holy Spirit. So guess what? That's the reason why you're born again, is that the Spirit of God lives on the inside of you, and you're able to discern because you can't trust anything on the outside. You can't trust anything on the outside. You need to look in the mirror every morning, and say, I cannot trust anything on the outside. You just can't do it. You're going to have to get a witness about it. Well, that's a lot of work, Pastor. Absolutely, it is. Because we live in a deceptive world. Amen? So let's go uh, to Genesis 3. Genesis 3, and we're going to just kind of briefly go over some things here, and then we're going to uh, go to Genesis chapter 6, and then we're going to unpack that a little bit more. Now, I tell you what, it was an absolute wonderful unction of the Spirit of God last week. God was just so gracious to me to let me bring forth, and then it didn't get recorded. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to have to do a little bit of, of review, okay? All right? And uh, so it didn't get recorded, but that's all right. 
It was for the people that were here at the time. Amen? Amen. If you were here, you were blessed. Amen? I know I was. I walked away. Now, it says in chapter 3, verse number 1, it says, Now the serpent, now underline that word serpent, because it's really not in reference to a snake. It's the Hebrew word nakash, N-A-C-H-A-S-H, nakash. And it just simply means a shining one. So it's talking about a spirit being. Okay? Now in the garden, Adam and Eve interacted with spiritual beings. Because we know in Genesis chapter 2 that God, when he created the heavens and the earth, he created the host of them, the host of them as well. So this host are the angelic realm, which is the other created realm, the other sons of God. Adam was a son of God because he was a direct creation by God. We're procreated. We're made in the image of Adam, not in the image of God, although we house, you know, a spirit just like he has a spirit. But it's only when we get born again that we become a direct creation of God and become sons of God. You see, that's what John chapter 1 tells us. To those who received him, he gave them the authority to become the sons of God. You see, you go to uh, 1 John chapter 3, and it says, Now we are the sons of God. Amen? Now, not waiting for it. Now we are. Now, we're not experiencing the full capacity of that power because we're in a transformative process. We're in a redemptive process. But as far as legally, in God's eyes, we are citizens of heaven and we are sons of God now. And that's what the enemy does not want you to get a hold of. Does not want to. It wants to keep you as a religious person. Because religion is a, is a bunch of do's and don'ts. And the devil loves that. He loves for you to live that way. Dotting every I and crossing every T. Basing your relationship with God based on what you don't do and what you do do. Again, that's on the outside. You're not being led by the Spirit. You're being led by external things. And those external things can be manipulated. Are you awake out there? So the word nakash there, it means um, basically um, seducer. Seducer. It means uh, enchanter. Have you ever been enchanted by somebody? Amen? Some of you got grins on your faces. All right. You was enchanted this morning. All right. It also means Casanova. So let's let's see this. This is very different than a than a snake like we we would know. See, I don't think a snake is a Casanova to me. I mean, it's, it's not an enchanting uh, animal out there. I run from them. I hate them. I hate the way they sliver. I don't even like them on the ground. I will see them in my car, and they'll be out in front of the road and slivering their little slivery sliver. And I will run over them. And I'll be afraid to run over them. It's like, ah! (coughs) Thinking they're going to come up out of the floorboard and get me. They're nasty. The term snake has to do with seduction. 
It has to do with uh, snakes can get in things other people can't. I mean, they can get in crevice, crevices and cracks and things, and, and they're, they're sneaky. Hello, they can be eating your cornflakes for years in that top <laughs> cabinet that you never open. And they will stay there and get fat. And all of a sudden, you open them up, and you've got this big old huge snake in, in your house, and it's been there for a while. Hello. But it uses the cornflakes not only to feed itself, but also to feed the mice that they. So you kind of get the picture. See, he's referred to as a snake because it's part of his character. Now, we also know that there's angelic. We also know that Satan was known as a cherub or a cherubim, which is the plural, a cherub. And most cherubs, if you look at them in cultures such as Egyptian culture and Samaritan culture, they're serpentine. That means they have serpentine features. Hello? Okay. So, Nakash, we see that he's a shining one. Is this okay to talk about? You okay with this? All right, I'm sharing the Bible with you. I'm not sharing what Greg thinks. I'm sharing the Bible with you. Now, this Casanova. So, that means this, that he don't look like an ugly old dragon. He don't look like he's got horns and big long tail and gruesome. He looks good. And everything that he brings to you looks good. See, he comes to enchant. You're not enchanted by ugly things. Ugly things don't enchant you. Beautiful things enchant you. Well, we found out in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel chapter 28 that he was the, the, the crown of creation. That he was the most beautiful of God's creation. And uh, he began to get pride in his own beauty. There's a lot of people like that in the world today. Hello, I'm here to tell you, young people, it goes. It goes. It's only for a short season. You better start developing the inward man, which is true riches. Amen? And, uh, you know, because people spend more time on their outer appearance than they do on their inward man. But he is a Casanova. Casanova is someone who has great charm ability, is able to woo you with their words, you know, able to woo you with their ability and their charm. And in fact, it it talks about this. Let's turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians. It talks about this here, his ability to charm. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 the Apostle Paul talking to the Church of Corinth and also talking to Lake Church here in Manford, America. He says, I wish you would bear with me a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. Now notice this. When Adam and Eve were at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they were betrothed to a husband. They were given, they were God's people. Amen? They were betrothed. They were separated. Betrothed means that, you know, there's a lot of, 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 of beautiful ladies out here, okay? But I am betrothed, set apart, this one out of the pack. 
You understand what I'm saying? <coughs> so my heart's desire is towards her. It's not towards anyone else. My eyes are towards her. They're not towards anyone else. Hello. So we are betrothed to Christ. When you're born again, you're betrothed to Christ. That's the reason why God is a jealous God. Amen. He's a jealous God. Not a jealousy like we have in our natural humanness, but a godly jealousy based on the fact that we have been purchased with everything he had. His very life was shed for us, and we're betrothed to him. Notice this. Uh, to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Oh, that's good news. That means this, guys, no matter what kind of dirt you played in, no matter what kind of situation you found yourself in, no, what, no matter what kind of life you've lived, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, you are a pure virgin. Oh, come on now. That's good news. We don't like that word virgin in our culture today. It's ridiculed and mocked and things of that nature. But it just means absolutely pure. And so what does Jesus' blood do for us? He purifies us. We might have lived a life that was just off the rails, that was totally depraved, totally out of sorts, totally outside the will of God. But when Jesus Christ came into our lives, we are pure virgins unto him. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. Amen. There's people that wrestle with guilt and shame. This tells you that in Christ, guilt and shame are in the past. There are people that walk in condemnation. There are even believers that have slipped away, that have went through seasons of insanity. This scripture has not changed in regards to you. If you have been betrothed to Christ, you are a pure virgin before the Lord. Confess your sin and be free from it. Amen? And be washed from unrighteousness. Jesus' blood that healed and cleansed you on the day he died is the same blood that cleanses you right now. Amen? Notice this. But I am afraid that as the serpent... So he's going back to Genesis chapter 3, isn't it? Notice he said, deceived Eve. That means led her astray. That word deceived means. By his cunning. Everybody say cunning. Well, that's a Casanova for you. I tell you what, you know, I've told you this, and you've got to, you've got to understand this. I'm going to say it over and over and over again. Spells are words put together to create mood, attitude, and action. And there are people that can put you and weave you in a spell of words. Kamala Harris is not one of those. (laughs) But there are people like Hitler who began to use words to deceive an entire nation. Hello. He did it out of a time of crisis. Did you know that? Did you know that every antichrist figure in humanity always came out of a crisis? And they began to speak with that crisis, speaking to personal pride. 
and it began to weave a spell. Hello. You know, when you're dating, there are spells that are going on then. Because guess what? You don't always shave and keep yourself real, real nice when you're married. Hello. See, you know, dating is the big pitch. You put the best version forward to get them to buy it, to sell. Hello. Amen. You play that A side all night long. But you don't let them know about the B side. You don't, you keep that B side away until you get married. And then the B side starts playing. Hello. Used to clean your car up. Used to get it all together. You know, have everything in place. And then you get married and it just goes right out the door. Come on now. How many know what I'm telling, talking about? After I say I do, I don't. <clears throat> Hello. You were a lot better person when you were dating them. Hello. All right. So that should be a clue that we shouldn't be like that. Amen. Cunning means specious wisdom. It means a seeming to be wise wisdom. It's not really wise, but it seems to be wise. It's like, have you ever had someone talk nonsense to you? And you go, that kind of makes sense. <laughs> you know, because I'm, I'm in an emotional state right now that I can receive nonsense and think it's wisdom. Come on. Have you ever been there? Well, you just need to go down there and just get right in the midst of the Taco Bell and tell him off right there. Just tell him off in the middle. And you're thinking, that sounds pretty good. Oh, yeah. It's because you're in an emotional state. Now, if you weren't in that emotional state, you'd be saying, that's absolutely crazy. But it's amazing how your IQ can lower when anger comes into your life. That's true. Amen. It plummets 20, 30 points. And all of a sudden, you become more primal, you know, more, more re- re- reactive. Hello? Reflexive? See, that's, what, that's where he wants to get you. He wants to get you in there. He's, you know, what, what do you tell Eve? God's hiding something from you. He's keeping something from you. Because if you really, if he really told you everything, you'd be like us. You'd be like Elohim. And you'd know. Good and evil, just like him. See, that appealing to the desire for something that is forbidden at the time and telling them it's going to be all right and that what God said isn't going to happen. And that's what he does every single time. Go ahead and take that pencil. It won't. Go ahead. Type that flirty text. Send that nasty picture. Come on now. There'll be no repercussions. No one will know about it. Well, that's not true. Amen? He's, he's, he's doing a trap. So uh, he says, by his cunning, your thoughts. See, that's what he goes after, is your thoughts. Okay? Your thoughts will be led astray. Amen? So you're, it's, it's just the picture of your thoughts are going down a straight line, and it's going down the straight and narrow, but all of a sudden, 
He brings them something fruity. Did you see that look she gave you? Did you see the way they looked at you? The person doesn't even know what's going on. Amen? person doesn't have any idea that they even looked at you that way. They're, they're you know, people don't, let, let me give you a clue. People don't think about you as much as you think they think about you. In fact, people don't think about you at all. They think about themselves. Be free with that information. They're not thinking about you. You're running, pulling on your shirt, you know, trying to straighten yourself up because you're afraid people are going to see that you're wearing the same jeans you wore yesterday. Nobody cares. Nobody's having a meeting. Did you see her? She wore the same jeans as she wore yesterday. Oh, my gosh. Extra, extra. No, they don't care. That's true. They don't care. Doesn't bother. Even if they notice it doesn't bother them, they think, oh, I've been there. Hello. Hello. Okay. Now notice it. He, he takes your mind that's going on a straight path, and he alters it through thoughts. He begins to talk to you about things. And you begin to get, you just kind of get over, over away, and you're, you're hitting things with your thoughts and, you know, everything. Come on. You're not here. You're over here. Mess, oh, you know. And he leads you astray with thoughts from a sincere and pure devotional to Christ, devotion to Christ, Okay. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus, because that's where he wants what's to do. With Christians, what does he do? He proclaims another Jesus. Well, Jesus ain't like that. And that's really what the fight is about, isn't it? And within the church, it's which Jesus is the biblical Jesus, which Jesus is the true Jesus, because we're having major theological fights over methodology, based upon which Jesus we believe is accurately represented in the Scripture. Come on now. And if you don't know the Scripture, you're going to be led to believe another Jesus. Amen? See, he came on the scene as a Jesus. Oh, you did. He came on the scene as a Jesus. He came as shining Looked like he was filled with wisdom. Looked like he had had the right words, had the right moves, had the suave, had the je ne sais quoi. And all of a sudden, you're attracted to what he's saying. There are people that you just can't keep your eyes off of. They have an enchanting spirit on them. They're meant to distract you. They're meant to get you over into thoughts that are carrying you away. When you hear these people talk in the videos that we've been watching, they talk in such intellectual, with such an intellectual capacity that it disarms you. They use their titles. They use the way they dress. They use their media 
to get you to think, man, they're important. I need to listen to them. And in fact, when it comes to the media, which is a, a, a deceptive, you know, entity in the earth, they'll begin to clothe doctors in white coats. And immediately you see that white coat, you make an association that they know what they're talking about. But not everybody that wears a white coat knows what they're talking about. Not everybody that wears a jacket and a suit coat knows what they're talking about. Not everybody that has a collar knows what they're talking about. That's the reason why we need to be spirit-filled people led by the Spirit of God. Because snakes take take different forms. Amen? Hello? There's snakes with six-pack abs. There's snakes that are brick house. Hello? There are snakes that look good, but they're poison in what they carry. Amen? Okay, all right. Now notice this. Drop down here to verse 13. He says, for such men are false apostles. He's talking about deception. Deceitful workers disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, when Satan comes to you, he doesn't come in his gruesome form. He doesn't come into the preconceived form that we have in our culture, have believed that he is. He comes in beauty. Amen? So the Nakash isn't just an old nasty snake that's scaled up a tree. The Nakash is a thing of beauty and a thing of great wisdom. Let's go back to Genesis 3. Are you okay? Okay, all right. I just feel like we need to take our time. Is that all right? Okay, so it says, now the serpent was more crafty. That word is a room in the Greek, A-R-U-M. And it means exactly what it means. It means crafty. It means shrewd. You know people that are shrewd? Okay, shrewd. Crafty. They've got a kind of, uh, oh, they're, they're, they're smarter than you. And you know it. And they make you know it too. They're smarter than you. Come on. And he is crafty than any other beast in the field. That word beast is kind of misleading because it is the Hebrew word chua or che in the Greek, C-H-A-Y. And it just simply means living creature. Okay? So he is the craftiest, the nakash, is the craftiest living creature. Now we know from the scripture that Satan is a created being. So he is a living creature. 
Now you say, well, if he's a living creature, does that mean that he's physical or is he spiritual? Well, if you go to the book of Revelation and you see the seraphim, they're called living creatures. You see what I'm saying? Living creatures. And uh, so they're called zoons in the Greek. Z-O-O-N. Zoons in the Greek. And it means living creature. And this is a living creature of angelic origin that is appearing in the physical world before Eve and Adam and is interacting with them and is basically selling them on partaking of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, if you understand trees in the Bible you find that trees represent people. They represent persons. In fact, it clearly defines this in the first psalm. It says, if we don't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, if we don't stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of the scornful, but our delight is in the law of the Lord, and in it we meditate day and night, we shall be like a tree. And there are different types of trees throughout the scripture. There are trees that can handle adversity and bend. Okay. It has the cedar tree. It has all kinds of different trees. And there's a great study. I don't have time to get into it right now. But if you look at Ezekiel, you'll find very clearly that this spirit here, this entity is in reference to a tree, that the tree is not a physical tree, but the tree is this entity that bestows a certain type of knowledge that is contrary to the knowledge that comes through relationship with Jesus Christ. And therein we have the birthing of witchcraft. And witchcraft is not just something that we use, you know, when we think about all of the imagery that comes into our minds. Witchcraft means knowing one. That's what it means. A knowing one. Someone who has knowledge without relationship. There's a lot of people out there that have even knowledge of this with absolutely no relationship with the author whatsoever. And that, I, I submit to you, that's even more dangerous than not having, you know, I would rather listen to someone who knows Jesus and may not necessarily know it, come on now, than someone who just knows things and has no relationship with Jesus whatsoever. And I'm sorry to say, myself included at one time in my life, I got better. But you can do ministry. No. You can do ministry without a relationship with Jesus. I've went through seasons of that. I'm ashamed to say. But no more. Amen? Okay. So he's a tree that they partake of the fruit. Now people will ask, well, why do they use this imagery? Because 
something that is highly um, intimate has to be portrayed in a way that children can understand it. Because if we read of the 11th, he's talking about being a virgin. He's talking about being betrothed. Come on now. These are very highly intimate terms that we're talking about here. These are intimate terms that we're talking about here. There's something that intimately was exchanged irrespective of God that brought shame. Oh, come on now. Are you awake out there? That brought guilt. That wanted them to cover themselves. Have you ever done something in your life you just needed to take a shower? And there's no physical touch to it. It's all verbal. But you just feel dirty. Come on now. It happens. You understand that? It happens. So this usage of this imagery here was so that generations after generations could take their little ones and talk to them about this and they'd get the understanding of it. But they're always meant, and that's, that's the sad thing about the church today, is that we were meant to know the real story. But yet we still have a flannel graph perception of these things. And we have to understand that something transacted. I'm not saying that it's sexual. I'm saying that there was an intimate transaction between this Nakash and Adam and Eve that totally put us in the position of being dead in our trespasses and sins. So it was severe, guys. It wasn't just eating an apple. Come on now. Well, Eve ate the apple and we are all in, you know, it's more than eating an apple. It's far more than eating an apple. It's far more than a physical action. There was a spiritual transaction. There was a solical transaction. And there was a physical action that came because of that, that brought about the calamitous situation that you and I are in. And it is far more than just taken off of the fruit stand. Amen? See, here we begin to see that the Nakash begins to use knowledge as a commodity, as a currency, as leverage. He begins to give them an opportunity to bypass relationship with God and get the knowledge immediately. You don't need him to teach you this stuff. I've got it. I can give it to you. You just need to follow me. You you pledge obedience to me, then I'm going to make all your dreams come true, honey. I'm going to make all your dreams. You know, you know that I can do it. And he did that song and dance. And people begin to think that Eve was by herself. That is not true. That's not what the text says. It says she partook of the fruit and she gave some to Adam who was with her. So the greater transgression is not on Eve's part because Eve was deceived. It's on the part of Adam who was not deceived because he was told to protect the garden. Right. Right. That's the truth. Amen. 
Paul talks about this in First First Timothy. He talks about the woman who was deceived, but the man was not deceived. The man willingly partook of this, knowing that he was doing something irrespective of God's design. He knew it. They didn't just, oh my gosh, the devil made me do it. That's not the truth. The devil didn't make them do anything. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Now, after they partake of the fruit, let's see what they say here. Okay. It says, he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, notice how he, notice how he said that. He basically gives misinformation because he only talked about one tree. He says, you're not supposed to eat of any of the trees. See, that, that's how he works. You mean they won't allow you to do this? You mean they don't want you doing that down there? You mean you can't just have fun? Is he against you having any fun? Uh, how many have ever heard that? Okay. So he opens the door by taking God's word and twisting it. And that's what all false teachers do, okay? All right, he said, And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the tree of the fruit, uh, the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. Now, God never said, Don't touch it lest you die. That's her husband's response. Husbands and fathers, we tend to overreact. We set barriers on barriers on barriers. Hello. And so we can see that there was misinformation given to her. Amen? And, God, and the enemy preyed upon her ignorance. He preyed upon that misinformation. All right? He says, You shall not eat of the free, uh, fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Notice this. So when the woman saw, notice that, that the tree was good for food. Everybody say good for food. And that it was delight to the eyes. Say delight to the eyes. And that it was... <clears throat> It was a tree that was uh, to be desired to make one wise. Notice that. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Okay? So notice right there. He's introducing them to the world system right there. Because the tree was three things. It was a good for the food a delight to the eyes, and something that was desired to make one wise. Now go back over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. He, he, she, he introduces her to a whole entire system of life. Alternative life. 
Okay? Notice what it says in verse 15. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, he's not talking about the Grand Canyon. He's not talking about, you know, beautiful mountains and trees and things of that nature. This is the same word, cosmos. It means system, order, arrangement, window dressing. Okay? He says, do not love the system or the things of the system, which would be the love of money. Come on now. That's got a lot of people in there. Did you know the love of money drives everything? Drives everything in the system? In fact, I could make a, I could make a, uh, a case for you, and I, and I may in the, in the next few times that we're together, that the love of money is the world system's Holy Spirit. Because the Holy, you know, the Holy Spirit, he leads and guides us and gives us, well, we, usually we make decisions based upon finances and money. Hello. So he says, don't love the things in the world. If anyone loves the system, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the system, notice this, the desires of the flesh, good for food. The desires of the eyes, pleasant to the eyes. And the pride of life or the boasting of life, it is desired to make one wise. You see what I'm saying? See what I'm saying? See, she began to get in this new construct of existence and began to know certain things. She wanted to know certain things that she wasn't in a position to know as a created being. She wanted to know things on a higher level, which was the Elohim, Remember, the Bible says that man was created a little lower. The, the translation says angels, but it's not angelos. It is Elohim. Man was created a little lower than Elohim. Now, people will say, well, man was created a little lower than God. Well, he, no, we were created a little lower than Elohim. Elohim doesn't just mean God of gods, but it also means other created beings, including angels. Okay? So spirit beings no more than physical beings because this is like a box that we live in that kind of mutes everything that's around us. We're not able to see everything because we live in flesh. We're spirits in flesh. You see what I'm saying? But once you leave your body, once you leave your body, those limitations are gone. You're able to see things, know things, understand things that you... In fact, you already do understand these things. Oh, God. The Bible says you have the mind of Christ. To awaken the mind of Christ requires renewal. It requires a, a, a process. It's not going to be like that. It requires a process. Now, when you initially got born again, there were some things you knew immediately. But you had to get into a process. That's the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm so <clears throat> disappointed that people don't put church where it needs to be. Because this is where you get your, 
your mind renewed. I mean, it's not the only place, but it, it's definitely. See, the stuff I'm giving you right now, some of you are saying, ah, I don't believe any of that stuff, and blah, blah, blah. I'm going to go off, and I'm going to go deer hunting. <laughs> but some of you are thinking about it, and it's creating questions. And the root word of question is quest. Come on. And God loves a good quest. Amen. He likes for you to be on a quest. See, we're called to seek him. We're not called. I'm not here to spoon feed you stuff. I'm not here to say, you know, here's what it is and this, you know, and tell you like the government does that this is part of a a, a good diet. No, I'm giving it to you. You're going to take it. You're either going to meditate on it and take it and begin to build on it or you're not. Come on. Okay. So, you know. You, you know, most people, this is the only spiritual meal they get a week. And they wonder why they wrestle with their flesh. They wonder why they're constantly defeated. They wonder, come on now. Listen, you're a spirit creation. You're supposed to know some things. You're supposed to be able, you see, if you get a word from God, you'll be able to break the system. You'll be able to break the system in your life. They're telling you you can't get a loan. They're telling you you can't expand your business. They're telling you you can't do it. Get a word from God, it'll change everything. Yes. Listen, they told me I was going to die. Right. They told me I needed a heart transplant. They told me I was going to be on a pump for the rest of my life. But guess what? I got a word from God. Amen. And the word from God overrode what their words were. Are you with me? Jesus said you're going to have tribulation. Listen, you can't stop problems from coming to your house. They're going to come to your house. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. I not only broke you out of prison, I burned the prison down. And I destroyed all of the guards and all of the warden and all. Come on now. I got rid of it all. The work of Jesus is absolute, complete. But we act like it's not. Well, you know, those videos show me that darkness is continuing to get bigger and bigger. That's not the truth. Jesus said this. Light has come into the world. But men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The reason why you're seeing them scammer, the reason why you're seeing them scurry, it's because light has come in. And they're trying to keep their stuff secret. And they can't keep it secret anymore. And it's time for the church that is the light of the world to begin to shine the light on the brood of vipers that are trying to control this world and control people's lives. It's time for us to rise up and speak the word of God and let the light shine forth and do the works of Jesus in our generation. And you were dead. Death is a condition. It's a form of existence. It's not that you cease to exist. It means that you're operating below the standard you were created to be operating in. 
You were never supposed to operate this way, ever. God's desire. Jesus was the last Adam. So that means this, that he came as a replicate of Adam. So everything he did was what Adam could have done before the fall. That's the reason why he said, the works that I do, shall you do. And greater works than these you shall do because I'm going to the Father. But we limit the Holy Spirit's access in our lives. We limit the ability to operate in the new creation. We work in still in this system by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. We still operate in it. I tell you, I'm running out of time. I could talk on this for hours. But I'm not. Okay? Going back to the scripture that we talked about, where Jesus said, If any man come after me, let him deny. The word deny means to utterly abandon himself. See, the only way you're going to operate in true freedom is you're going to have to abandon yourself. Okay? Now, he says this, and it's in my book out there called Train. You can get it today. Double the price. Okay? But he says, whosoever shall lose his life. Okay? Now, people will talk about that's martyrdom. He's not talking about martyrdom. The word life is the Greek word suke which means soul. Okay? So in this transaction that happened between Adam and Eve and the Nakash, they disconnected. They disconnected from the tree of life, which was relationship with God. And he connected them to the system. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. He connected them through their soul. So they were no longer spirit creations. They were solical creations because their, their spirit was dead. Didn't mean it wasn't active. Just meant that it was separated from the source. And when the source is gone then everything else doesn't work right. And because that spirit creation, the only aspect that was able to trigger into the natural world and plug into the psychic source, which the enemy works works in the psyche, in the psychic areas. He can't touch your spirit. He works to seek to plug you in to the psychic realm, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Okay? So in each part of the soul, the three-part makeup of the soul, you're connected to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Do you understand that? So that means you're controlled extrinsically. 
What information comes in from this outside world is how you see yourself. You're no longer living from the inside out. You're living from the outside in. You're in bondage to your, uh, to your atmosphere. You're in bondage to your environment. And that's the reason why fear came. They didn't live in fear. Why? Because they lived from the inside out. We saw that with Jesus. Jesus would walk through crowds that wanted to kill him. Jesus would walk on water. He would speak to storms. He was sleeping while the boat was about to capsize. Why could a person do that? Because he was living from the inside out. He knew that what was within him was greater than what was outside of him. The disciples were still hooked to the system. They looked at a storm and said, oh my gosh, we need to be fearful. And we're interpreting a lot of these things that we're seeing on these the videos and things. And many of you are interpreting them as, oh my gosh, we got to go to Sam's. We gotta buy water. We gotta buy, come on, come on, get your guns. Let's go to the next gun show. And I'm not saying that that's not bad. I'm not saying anything like that. What I'm saying is this. You weren't supposed to live in fear. You weren't supposed to live this way. This stuff should not scare you. But if you're continued to be hooked into the system, if you're moved by what you see and what you feel, and if you find you're boasting in the things of this world, I make this much money, I have this car, I live in this house. I wear these clothes. I'm Native American. Our First Nation. Or I'm African American. Or I'm, the, you know... Listen, you're living by that construct. You're living below the standard of the new creation. Hello. You're living below the standard. See, Jesus is the only standard where there's true equality. It's the only standard whatsoever. Because there's neither male nor female. What are we fighting about today? Male and female. Gender roles. But in Christ Jesus, there's neither male nor female. Come on now. His, he's the standard. See, not, not Gloria Steinem, not, not, you know, Ginsburg. I'm ashamed people put Ginsburg up. Hello. People celebrate what she accomplished. I'm here to tell you there's nothing in the Bible that she accomplished. There's nothing about what she did, but yet they're celebrated, even in the church. Shame. You're basically saying the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is superior to the tree of life. That's what you're saying. You're hooked up to the system. And when they bring in their next riots, when they bring in their next controversy, and when they bring in their next divisive message that they're doing, most people who are hooked to the system, even Christians that sit and go to church every week, they'll hook up in that system and they'll say, yes, we're going to march. And that's exactly what Ephesians chapter 2 says. You walked in lockstep. According to the course of this world. 
Whatever they said, you just said, all right, I'm mad. Well, what are you mad at? I don't know. But I'm angry. Hello? I'm telling you, they're pulling a ruse over you. They're deceiving you day in and day out. They're getting you to think that there's an endless pandemic. That the white man is the problem. In Christ, there is no white man. In Christ, there is no black man. In Christ, there is no red man. In Christ, there's just in Christ. Hallelujah. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, the Apostle Paul said. But all are in Christ Jesus. What is my ethnicity? Jesus. What is my identity? Jesus. What is my reality like we sung? Jesus. So, renewing the mind unhooks us. He says, do not be conformed to this But be transformed by the renewing of our mind. It's actually, the word for world there is aeonos. And it means the set times, philosophies, and ideas of your present culture. Unhook. Lose your life. You'll find it. People are not finding the life in Christ that they're meant to have because they're still hooked to the system. Now, next time we're together, I'm going to be talking to you about them dirty angels that came and messed with human genomes and also with plants. See, this stuff we're seeing is not new. The book of Ecclesiastes says, can you say that anything's new? He said, no, it's not new. It was done in the ages past. He's not saying it was done on the earth. He's just saying it was done in the ages past. Hello? You're eating GMO food. You're eating genetic altered fish and beef. They're changing cows where... where uh, they're able to give different types of, of milk. Hello? They're changing everything, and they've been doing it for years. And we're just now hearing about it. Right. You don't even know when you go to Walmart if that meat's even real. They're belie- they, they are actually growing meat, making meat, creating meat. Hello? This stuff also has stuff in it that's bad for you. And it's meant to be bad for you. Come on now. The love of money is the root of all evil. 
The reason why they want to cut back on good quality ingredients is because it puts more dinero in their pocket. That's the reason why you use cheaper materials, you use cheaper stuff, and you try to get certain things that can get the taste that you want, but yet at the expense of health. Because there's people that eat McDonald's all the time, and I'm here to tell you, you're not eating food. Now, I like McDonald's, don't get me wrong. But I'm not, I, I know I'm not eating food when I go to McDonald's. I am not eating food. Hello. There is no nutritional value in what you're getting at these fast food places. But it has, you know, you used to think you could go to fine dining and get the same thing. Nope, they're stepping over into that as well. If you want to eat right, you've got to take it upon yourself. Be led by the Spirit and eat at home. Pack your lunch. Come on now. Otherwise, I'm so glad for Mark 16. If you'll eat or drink any deadly thing, it shall not harm you. And that's the reason why we pray over our food. Amen? you got to pray over your food. If it's received by prayer and thanksgiving, it's sanctified by God. Doesn't mean it's going to make you big and strong. It doesn't mean it ain't going to kill you. Come on now. Come on. We got to live weird. We got to be weirdos. If you ain't weird, you ain't doing it right. You're a new creation. You're in the world, but you're not of the world. That means you don't live by the laws and standards. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. I'm not subject to this world anymore. Oh my goodness gracious, the world may able to be able to kill this body, but they don't make a bullet to kill my spirit. They don't make a bullet to kill what's on the inside of me. I don't need to be afraid. Oh, glory to God. I don't think I got even a... Oh, my Lord. Jesus, help me. We're going to be going to 2025 if I keep this up. Amen. I'm going to have to do something different. Amen. Well, did you get anything out of that? Did that help anybody? Hallelujah. Listen. What they're trying to do with brain chips, what they're trying to do with um, transhumanism and things of that nature. Listen. They're just trying to replicate what has already been done in Christ Jesus. They're trying to become God-like through technology. But praise God. Now, you would think that'd be kind of fruity. I think we'd laugh at one another if we talked about brain chips and different bionic you know, accessories and things of that nature. Although I did like Lee Majors. I did like the bionic man. Okay, but we'd kind of we kind of think, oh, that's crazy, that's nuts, that's crazy. But we're not. We're thinking, oh wow, that's really neat. But yet we will make fun of someone saying, by the stripes of Jesus, I'm healed. We'll make fun of someone that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We'll make fun of all the provisions of the covenant and all the provisions afforded to the new creation, 
I'm a citizen of heaven. My citizenship is not of earth. My citizenship is heaven. And we think, that's crazy. He's, he's a radical. He, he's <laughs> fanatic. I don't understand that. But I'm here to tell you, my friends, everything they're trying to do in the physical has already been fully realized in Christ Jesus. You don't need a mechanical heart. God's got new hearts for you. You don't need them. Come on now. You don't need that. God has what you need in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, if you're here and you need something, this is the getting place. You need to be born again. You need to be filled with the Spirit. You need to uh, be um, healed in your body. Praise God. We'll have ministers up here at the end of service. Amen. Hallelujah. I'm excited. We're going to start, Kevin's going to start a new series on Galatians this Wednesday. And then next week, get ready, get ready, get ready. I tell you what, we're going to have a powerful time at Arise. So you plan to be here every night. It's going to be off the chain. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.